Well, praise God. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Anybody grateful for God? Hasn't God been good in your life? God's been good in my life. Guys, I'm on a spiritual hangover from men's retreat. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just excited. Hey, that song we sang uh, reminds me of uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, there is salvation in no one else. Say no one else with me. No one else. For there is no other name. Say no other name with me. Under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I'm going to teach you right now the most powerful prayer you could ever utter through your lips. And it's one word. Here it is. His name is... Jesus. That's right. So when you find yourself in a place where you're, you're worried, full of anxiety, all you have to say is, when you're afraid, in the middle of the night, all you got to do is say, you hear that? And it's a, it's a glorified name, a powerful name. Whatever circumstance, whatever situation you're in, and you don't know what's going to happen to you, all you have to do is say, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. I thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for going to the cross, and thank you for being present with us right now. And we just come together, sinner and saint. We say we need your grace. God, I thank you for the way you moved in the last two services, and I pray you move again here, Lord. Give me strength. And Holy Spirit, my desire is just to be used by you as a clean vessel. So I, I always need your grace, and I thank you for that. And I pray again that your spirit moves through me according to Isaiah 61. Pray that your word falls on good ground. So maybe your prayer needs to be this. God, soften my heart. Make my heart soft to receive your word. Maybe your prayer needs to be, God, open up my ears. Open up my eyes change me. Oh, make that your prayer. Say, change me. Strengthen me, God. Speak to me, God. Lord, we need to hear a word from you. There's nothing else that matters. We need to hear a word from you. We didn't get out of bed and get come over to church, go through the motions. We need to hear a word from you. So Jesus, thank you. It's in your name we pray all this. Amen. Before you sit down, um, turn to the person next to you and just tell them God is good and give them a big kiss. Can you do that? Oh, God is good. Give them a big kiss. Uh, it's good to be at church, guys. It's so good. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. It's way cool. God's moving in some special ways. I just had some conversations with some people after the first service and I'm like, wow, God's really using this church. Hey, so I want to start off. Uh, we're starting a new series called uh, Would You Like to Leave a Tip? Um, I, I wanted to start off with a picture of Men's Retreat, guys, because I just, I'm, I'm still glowing. And uh, it was a great time. Yeah, a great time. We had 100 guys. And there's something special about men coming together to worship God and uh, crying out to God and seeking his will for their life. Uh, because when men, when men do that, Homes change, marriages change, children change, grandchildren change, great, great grandchildren change when men just seek God with all their hearts. So I'm so grateful, so grateful for that. Um, I want to start off with, uh, you know, we're, we're this brand new series called, Would You Like to Leave a Tip? 
And uh, I, I'm excited about this for a lot of different, different reasons. We'll spend the month of February looking at this. So if you don't want to hear a message about money, just come back in March and it'll be all right. But uh, uh, I, I was talking to someone and they said, oh, I used to go to church. And I said, when did you go to church? She said, well, I only visited once. I said, when was that? And she told me like two years ago. And she said, but you talked about money, so I never went back. I was like, what? See, I mean, two years ago, that's when you heard a message about money and you just decided not to come back because of that one message? I was like, oh my word, that's crazy. Psalm chapter three, or Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. And uh, God wants every part of your life. He doesn't want some parts. He don't want, doesn't want you to just cherry pick your life. He wants all of your life, every part of your life, your home life, your family life, your work life, your thought life, your sexual life, your entertainment life. He wants every part of your life, not just the parts that you want to give him, but every part of your life. And Billy Graham said it like this, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help, it will straighten out almost every other area in his life. Think about that. Think about that. This is not a message about money. It's a message about your heart. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's read that together, guys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what? If, uh, if we hung out at Starbucks or something like that, and you let me look at your checking account, I bet we can, look, we can look at your spending. You can look at my spending, and you'll know what's important, won't you? I mean, you'll know. Some of you, your woman is important, and there's a lot of money going to your woman. Or maybe it's your kids, or maybe it's that habit, or, or whatever it is. You know, you, there's something in your life where money is a non-issue, traveling, whatever it is. And you're like, okay, this is a non-issue, and I'm going to spend my money, because that's where my treasure is. That's where my heart's at. That's where it's at. In this series today, uh, would you like to leave a tip? Uh, today's title is 10%, 15%. Or 20%. That's what it's titled today. Um, I went to Starbucks. Uh, you know, I went there today, this morning, and I got a cup of coffee. But when you go to Starbucks, have you seen that app? They show you that app, like, before you pay. And it's like before you even, you know, tap or, or swipe or whatever, there you have to decide on how much to give them. I think this kind of started, you know, well, it didn't just start, but, but during the whole COVID thing, it kind of accelerated and tipping became even more popular. And, and now, you know, at first I was giving like, uh, I was giving like, oh, I'll give two bucks. And then I was like, okay, I'll give $1. And now I'm like, no, thank you. And I just got coffee's expensive already, but I did it. But it's, it's kind of our part of our culture, this whole tipping thing. And I did a little research on tipping and, uh, and you may not know this, but tipping actually started in Europe, big surprise, but it happened between the 1850s and 1860s when Americans would travel to Europe, they experienced this whole tipping thing and it really took root in the American South after the abolition of slavery and the American Civil War. Enslaved people were hired and they relied on tips. In fact, there was this train company in 1867 known as the Pullman Company and uh, they liberated southern black men as porters and servers. And they couldn't pay them what they should have paid them. They paid them just a portion. And they said, you know, the rest you're going to make up in tips. So these southern black men on this train, we relied on tips. And that's how it took root as this train went across the United States. And then tipping became more and more popular. In fact, these guys were making between $12 and $27.50 a month, and they relied on tips. Well, that thing is just spread now, 
and now it's everywhere. And let me just stop right here. Um, if you consider yourself a Christian, and I'm so glad in this church we have all kinds of people of different faiths and no faith. I'm grateful for that. But if you consider yourself a Christian and you're one of those people that when you sit down at a restaurant, you want to like give them the four spiritual laws and you want to talk to them about Jesus and say, are you ready to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? You know, if that's you. And if you make it known to that server that you're a Christian, tip well. Christians have a reputation of being horrible tippers. Sometimes they just say, here, I'm going to give you a card. I'm going to give you a verse that this is going to save you from hell, and that's worth more than your 20% tip. No, come on now. Show love and have a good, let's have a good reputation. Let's tip well. Here's the danger. When you think about tipping, one of the things we do is it's kind of this, this relationship we have with the server, and we think, okay, if, um, if you come and you give me attention, if you fill up my glass when I need it filled up, and if you take care of me and I feel the love and, and you're kind to me, but you're not too much in my, at my table, right? There's a balance, right, of how much someone's at your table. You're not too much, but I want you to be there. And if you're there and you give me that kind of service, I'll tip you well. If you give me a free dessert, I'll tip you well. So there's this expectation of I will tip you if you perform. I will tip you if you take care of me. If you don't take care of me, I may not tip you very well. In fact, you may even say, hey, I'll give you a good tip if, right? And that's kind of our relationship when it comes to us tipping. Now, here's the danger. We can take a tipping mentality into the church and apply it to our relationship with God. There's the danger. We could say, you know what, God? <laughs> I will, I'll go to church if, if, I'll give a little bit if you do this. I want your blessing, God. And if your blessing, oh, God, you better perform for me. You better produce, God. If you don't produce, if I have any problems in my life, I'm backing away. That's that tipping mentality that we have. You know, it's like I thought about, maybe we should have like a tipping jar in front of the, the, the podium here, the pulpit, and, and say, you know, if the sermon's good, I'll tip, right? No, that's, if the, whatever, or the worship, if the worship is good, you know, I'll go ahead and give it. But if, if I'm uncomfortable, if it's not, so here's the question that we have to, in behind tipping, the question is this, what's the minimum I need to give to get a maximum result, return? What's the minimum I need to give? And we can take that mentality into our relationship with God. God, what's the minimum I need to give? What's the minimum I need to serve? What's the minimum I need to do? What's the minimum time I need to spend, you know, in God's word? What's the minimum I need to, I mean, how much should I forgive? What's the minimum? Tell me the minimum, God, and I want to do that. But God, I expect the windows of heaven to be open for me. I expect blessings to be open for me. As I thought about this, guys, I thought about uh, the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is written by this, well, this prophet named Malachi, and he's speaking to the Israelites. The Israelites are just coming back from being exiled in Babylon. And they, it's been about 100 years now since they left Babylon, and they're rebuilding their temple in Jerusalem. They're doing church all over again. Now, these guys have been, I mean, it's been about 1,200 years since they left Egypt. And now they're like, okay, we're getting back into the groove. We're, we just moved here. We 
unpacked our boxes and we got our pictures on the wall and we're finding our habit and, you know, the kids found their school and everything, you know. So now we're just getting settled in this kind of thing and, and the Israelites are coming together and they're doing church, but their attitude is different. It's a tipping mentality. I'm going to start off with verse one. We're going to hang out in Malachi and then we're going to jump to Matthew chapter six. Malachi says like this, this is a message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. That word message means burden. It was a burden that Malachi had on his heart, a burden from God. And verse two starts off like this. I have always loved you, says the Lord. I have always loved you. Now think about this. God's about to drop this message on the Israelites. And the first words out of his mouth is, I've always loved you. I've always loved you. You start, well, what, this is, there's a message when someone starts off. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and that person is just combative or they're defensive or they're angry and they're resisting and, and they're like not at a good place and you want to stop the conversation and you want to say, um, hey, 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 you know I love you, right? Why are you, why, well, you know I love you. Why are you, why are you, well, you know, I love you. God starts off with Malachi and using Malachi to look at the Israelites. And he says, you know, I've always loved you. Some of you need to hear that message here this morning. You know, God loves you, right? I mean, you know, he loves you. Do you really know that? You don't know that. You know that. <laughs> you know, he loves you. I mean, do you really understand? He loves you. He cares about you. You know, he loves you, right? Everything is driven by the love of God, his desire. I mean, think about it. When you want to get a grip of God's love for you, your view of this book completely changes. You look at these posts before you look at any other social media posts. Your view of church changes. Your view of prayer changes. Your view of loving church changes. Your view of giving changes. Everything changes. And don't you know God loves you? God knows the desires of your heart. Nobody will love you like God. Nobody. He won't, she won't, it won't, whatever. Nobody will love you like God. You know he loves you, right? You know he loves you. Oh, swallow that, guys. He says, I've always loved you. I've always loved you. I, I, I love this picture, guys. I took this picture on, uh, I think it was... Well, it would have been Friday night. My days are all mixed up right now. But we were at men's retreat, and it was our last service. How many, when those of you were there, I mean, the Holy Spirit just came down on us like a cloud. It was ridiculous. I mean, we were just broken. And, and men were singing at the top of their lungs, at the top of their voices. And, like, men were at a place where everybody knew nobody could sing, so nobody cared. And we were just, like, all belting it out. And we were just, like, I'm going to sing. I'm gonna, I'm just, it was this beautiful, beautiful moment when the walls are coming down. There's nothing like the presence of God. Oh, man. Pastor Nick said that was the best worship service he's ever been in his whole life. That's what he said. Best worship experience. And then after we worshiped, many men went forward and we prayed at this, you know, just in front of everything. We got on our knees and, and we prayed and, and then we broke up into groups and there was a lot of sharing. And then we went on the infamous soul walk. Infamous soul walk. Men wrote down on a piece of paper things in their life that needed to be burnt out of their life. And I had the privilege of embracing every man before he left. And I said a private prayer between me and that man before they left. Oh, man, it was so beautiful. 
And that walk represented their life. And they left with that piece of paper in their hand and it was dark. And there was nothing but glow sticks in the woods. And they're walking in the woods. And there's one guy, you know, every, I don't know, 200, 300, 400 feet, whatever it is. And he has a scripture verse and he's just holding it with a light and not saying one word. And you read that scripture verse. And then you keep walking and going to the next one. And you keep walking and going to, it's like a 30 minute walk. And by the time you get back, there's a fire and you throw that piece of paper in the fire. Oh man, God is still changing lives. Glory to God. God is still changing lives. And there's nothing like giving yourself completely to God. I think the devil, one of his strategies is, don't you give that. Don't you give that. Don't you give that. It's not even a question of how much you know. It's a question of how you live because of what you know. That's the question. Pharisees didn't need to know the Bible study. And some of us have grown in the church, up in the church our whole life. And it's not about, it's not about what you know. Let's check it out, guys. Look, Malachi chapter one. Here's what happens. Verse six, the Lord of heaven's army says to the priests, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and God is speaking, if I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You sh you've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. And notice he first starts talking about the altar. He's not talking about the sacrifice yet. He's talking about the altar. You treat it with disrespect. And verse 8 says, when you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven's armies. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For in my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you dishonor my name with your, what church? With your what? By bringing contemptible food, you are saying, it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say, it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock 
but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. Wow. We can learn so much from this, guys. So the Israelites, you know, they're following. They know, they know what's written in Leviticus and the Mosaic law, and they understand the 613 laws, and they understand this is part of being right with God, these animal sacrifices. It's before Jesus comes on the scene, and they understand that. So what they, what they do, and they've been in this place for about 100 years, they, just, they know how to play church, and what they do is say, okay, part of playing church is offering sacrifices, and what we're going to do is I'm going to give them this, this sacrifice that's that's crippled, this one that's blind, this one that's lame. It's like, I didn't really like it anyway. I don't need it anyway. It's not worth anything to me. So I'm going to give to God something that's worthless to me. I don't need it anyway. And it's that tipping mentality they have. What's the minimum I need to do to get the blessing of God? And if it doesn't cost me anything, I'm going to do it. And when you look at this passage, one thing you see in this passage is this. For God, it's personal. Remember what he said? I've always loved you. You know he loves you. It's personal. He loves you. You know what he wants to know is, will you love him back? Will you love him back? I mean, I'm just going to be real, guys. For some of you, it's a miracle that you're here right now in church. God has spared your life. I mean, do you have any idea the expense God has made just to get you here right now? Everything God has done in your life, he's watched over you, he's protected, he's provided for you, he's, he's done so much in your life. I mean, you recognize God loves you so much, and God wants your best. It's just our human nature to want to give to God the thing that we don't, or to give to others the things that we don't maybe don't value. It's like when we, uh, when we go do disaster relief stuff and, and, and we, we uh, get uh, furniture and appliances and people donate to us to give to people who've been through you know, hard times. Do you know how much junk people want to give to the church? It's like, they, instead of goodwill, oh, cool, the church will take it. And it's like, set that thing on fire. What are you doing trying to give it away? It makes you feel better, but it's trash. That's why you don't want it. That's why you don't want it. We have a tendency to do that. God wants your very best. It's a way you tell God, I love you back. It's not, okay, you know what? I didn't need this anyway, so I'll give this to God. God wants to know, do you really love him? Do you really love him? It's like when you make that dish and you make some chicken or gumbo or something or crawfish etouffee from Papa Does. Hello. And, 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 and you have it and you're like, okay, I'm going to serve this dish now to everyone around me. And you're like, oh, this is a really good piece. I want to give it to the person I love. Right? I want to give the best to them. God wants you to give him his best because he owns everything and he's given you a life. And he's not satisfied with your leftovers. For God, it's personal. He says, you know, I'm your father and master. Where are the honor and respect I deserve? That word respect means fear. And I want to say this. When you lose your fear of God, you lose your passion to obey God completely. Was there a time in your life when you were in awe 
of God. You were like, oh God, you're so good. I worship you. I know you're real and I love you. And then there's a time it's just become cold. And you're like in church and you're like, yeah, I know that story already. Yeah, this message is for someone else. It's not for me. I sure wish my sister, I sure wish my brother could. Maybe God wants to speak to you. When you lose your fear of God, you lose your passion for God. And some of you have lost your passion. And it's been a long time since you've been like at that place. But when you have passion for God, it's never about I want to give him something that's worthless. It's always about, I want to give him the very best because I owe him so much. I'm in debt to my God. I'm in debt to him. Malachi said it like this. He says, he's shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Defiled sacrifices on my altar. When you lose your passion for God, you can give God things that don't mean anything to you. And the Israelites no longer respect that altar of sacrifice. And we can do the same thing with God. We can say, God, I'm going to give you the least, but I want your blessings and I'm going to give you this. And God, look over here, look over here, God, I'm giving my shoes away or whatever it is. We can reason away and convince ourselves that I'm going to tip. I'm going to give God the minimum. I'm going to do that. There's an old phrase that says familiarity uh, breeds contempt. You ever heard that phrase? Familiarity breeds contempt. And it's kind of like when you meet someone and initially there's like this image management thing that happens and you kind of present your best to them, right? And, and you hang out with them. But you know what? Go on a trip with them, sit on a plane with them, hang out with them, whatever it is. And all of a sudden you see a side to them. Like you knew they weren't perfect, but you see it. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is who they really are. And it's like, okay, am I still going to hang out with them? Am I still going to be with them? Am I still going to be friends with them? Am I still going to be married? Whatever. And you see that other side of them and you're like, do I still love them? Do I still want to be with them? But familiarity breeds contempt. When we were, uh, when we were over there at um, Institute, I was playing football, and, uh, and um, they, they wanted me to, to play. And I said, like, all right, I'll go and play. And, and the first series, guys, I was just lit. I was hitting Josh, and I was just on like Donkey Kong. It was so good. I felt good. And the second series, I was like Russell Wilson. It was horrible. I was so, and then someone says, hey, he's human after all. One of the guys said that. I'm like, yeah, I've been found out. I think sometimes we're worried that people will discover we're human after all. You know what I'm saying? What if they find out I don't know that much? What if they find out I don't have it all together? What if they find out I'm not all that in a bag of chips? I mean, what if they find out that it happens? It's possible to know God and not honor God. It's possible to say, yeah, I know God, but you become lazy. You, your passion is just not white hot anymore. You're not willing to walk across. You're not willing to share. You're not willing to, and you're okay not serving. You're okay not spending time with God. You're okay not whatever. You're okay with that because you've just gotten a bit cold. The passion is not there. And you will say, yeah, I know God. But people look at your lives and they say, where? Let me say it like this. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not a sacrifice. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not a sacrifice. They said, hey, let's get that crippled one. It was, I, I didn't need it anyway. Hey, let's get that one that's sick. It's about to die anyway. So I might as well give it to God. 
Let's get that other one that, that has, you know, bad genetics or whatever. Let's give that to God because it's not worth anything to me. And then you know what? God better give me credit for that. Look at me, God. Tipping mentality. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not a sacrifice. And too many times when we approach God, it's about, God, um, I'll, I'll do it. I'll serve you if I have time. I'll serve you if it works out. I'll give if I have extra. God, I will do whatever you want as long as it's convenient for me, as long as it's comfortable for me, as long as my preferences are met, as long as my feelings aren't hurt. I will do anything for you, God. It's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. Jesus gave his all for you. Jesus gave his all for you. God says, haven't I told you I love you? You know I love you, right? God says, you know I love you, right? I think about sacrifice and I think about Josh and Greg. God bless them, these guys at men's retreat. <laughs> Josh, um, he was playing broomball and uh, he had a fight with the ice and the ice, guess which one uh, won? He busted his lip. And uh, I saw it too, like he had this stick and he went after it like this. And as soon as he did that, he was like, ah, <laughs> and just hit his face right on the ice. And then Greg is pointing to a slash between his eyes. It was caused by the back of the head of Walter. Um, Walter was on the ground and Walter's from Jersey. And Walter was like, ah, leave me alone, leave me alone. I can't move, I can't move. And then we eventually got Walter. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. And he gets up and then we're like, he's bleeding. And there was Greg bleeding to death from over his forehead. And uh, I told Greg, <clears throat> the story is we had to helicopter him out. He needed to be knocked out. So I hit him in the jaw like three times trying to make him knock it. Nobody believes me. Anyway. <laughs> But I love their attitudes. They have awesome attitudes. And they're both of them, like Josh is saying, next year at Men's Retreat, I'm bringing a mouthpiece. That's what he said. Um, Jesus said this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Let's read verse 21 out loud, guys. Let's go. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires your heart. There it is. So Jesus is saying the same message in Matthew chapter 6 as Malachi in the Old Testament. And he's saying, you know what? Don't focus on things around here. You need to focus on your relationship. We are. You know he loves you, right? You know he loves No, he really loves you. And Jesus is saying, don't get locked up into everything here. Now, there's nothing wrong with all of the, you know, fun things that we have and whatever it is and enjoying life, but don't let it be the treasure of your heart. Don't let it be the treasure of your heart. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. In verse 24, he goes on, he says, no one can serve two masters for you'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't do it. That is why I tell you not to worry. Now, did you see that jump? We were talking about treasures of the heart and where to, you know, put your heart and this kind of thing. And he says, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. 
And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? It's the same message as Malachi chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. He's like, you know he loves you, right? You know he loves you, right? So what are you worried about? What are you worried about? See, when you worry, you're questioning the love God has for you. When you worry, you're questioning, God, are you sure you have my back? Are you sure about this? But you know he loves you. And here's what I've discovered. Behind a tipping mentality is a worry mentality. What if I give God my best? What if something doesn't happen? What if he doesn't come through? What if it, you, you know what? It's just being smart. It's just being wise. I'm just going to give God what I think I want to give him. I'm not going to give him the best because if I give God the very best, what will happen to me? And if you think about it, when it comes to money and giving, that is one of the most tangible expressions of your worship and faith in God. Because giving and money, I mean, that's part of our lifestyle, right? That's part of our lifestyle. So when you say, God, I'm going to honor you with what I have, you're putting, you're putting teeth to your faith. It's way easier to sing songs about faith and surrender than to live it out. It's way easier to sing songs about, I love you, God, and I want all... Way easier to sing those songs and to actually take action steps that could potentially affect you. That could potentially affect you. Here's what I've discovered. People who love money don't like talking about giving. They hold on to it, right? They're even maybe even offended. People who love money, it's mine, it's mine. But, but people who love God, they have no problems talking about money. They understand everything they have is from the hand of God. And it's a stewardship issue. They understand everything I have is from God. I have no problems talking about money. So it depends on where, where your heart is, what you, what you love. Malachi, God told him to say this to the Israelites. He said, bring the whole tithe. Here's how to solve this thing with, with, with the Israelites. He says, here's what you do. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The whole tithe. That word tithe there literally means a tenth in Hebrew. It's 10% of your income given as an offering to your local church. Something when I turned, when I was 18 years old and I turned to Jesus at that point in my life, I started this habit of honoring God with what the Bible calls 10% or a tithe. And I'm just going to tell you, God has been faithful. God has been faithful. The life I have, I can't afford it on my own. No way. And then when I went into sales and I, I would tithe off of every commission check, every bonus, year-end income tax returns, whatever, any income that came through, I said, man, I'm just going to give to God. But I had this awareness that my life, everything I have is from God. And God, I want you, I want to give you every part of my life, every part, my relationship life and every part of my life, God. And it, the mentality shifted from, I'm going to, you know, sometimes we can go to God and say, okay, God, I, I want all of you, but I'm not going to let go of this. Or I want all of you, God, but I can't let go of this grudge. I want all of you, God, but I can't, I don't, I don't want to walk away from this relationship. I want all of you. And we, and we do that with God and we convince ourselves that we're living this kind of life. But God wants all of you. Nobody can, nobody can love you like God. 
Nobody will provide for you like God. Nobody will take care of you like God. He's got your back. And God wants to know, do you, am I all, are you going to, everything your best? Don't give him the crippled and the lame and the disease and call it good and say, God, look at me. How about them apples, baby? Look at me. God wants to know if, he, if, if you recognize, if you realize he's God. It's like that story about that father who, you know, buys some food for his kid and, 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 and gives him a whole meal, including some French fries, whatever it is from Wendy's or whatever. And, gives him, and then, the, then the father turns to the son and says, hey, can I have a French fry? And the son says, no, it's mine. And that father's looking at him like, I'm about to drop a boatload of french fries on your head right now. Don't you know I'm the one who bought that for you? Are you aware that everything you have in your life has come from the hand of God? The breath in your lungs. God has taken care of you and he's brought you to church and every good thing, even your gifts that God has given you, God has given all of that to you and you're called to be a good steward of that. God wants you to honor him with every part of your life and he'll never let you down. He'll never let you down. And I'm looking around right now and I'm just saying, it looks like everybody, like nobody's missing a meal. I'm just thinking that everybody's enjoying life. Lord says this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Beautiful. In the New Testament, they don't get 10%. I mean, Jesus endorsed that when he talked to the Pharisees. He says, it's good that you tithe, but do other things. Don't neglect other things. But the New Testament, they give above 10%. Like, they gave everything. They like sold property and gave the proceeds to the apostles to distribute to the poor. I mean, here at Thorn Creek, guys, we do a lot of loving on people, loving on the poor and, and loving on organizations. And we just helped out an organization of single moms, young moms, teenage moms, and we gave them $1,000 and you guys made that possible. And we, we've given money. I mean, we just always are loving on people. Food for Hope, good night. Great organization we started. that feeds 15 schools every single week. Praise the Lord. Thank you. But this verse right here, God says, test me, try me. I double dog dare you if I won't take care of you. You know why? He says, you know, I love you, right? He says, you know, I love you, right? You got no worries. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got no worries. Tell the person, you got no worries. He says, you know, I love you, baby. You know, I love you. God sees you. God knows what's going on in your life. God knows your concerns. God knows what's weighing you down. You know he loves you, right? So you can trust God. He is faithful. He will never let you down. He will care for you and watch over you and protect you. Your life is in the hands of God, not your boss. Glory to God. Your life is in the hands of God and he will take care of you all the days of your life. He just wants all of you. And when you give to him and say, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I know I'm going to be obedient to you, God, and I'm going to do it. You know what you're doing? You're saying, God's going like, all right, let me show you how big I am. I'm going to flex for you. I'll take care of you. It's okay. He wants your best. He wants your best. Here's what I want to do. It's not about money. It's about your heart. The first thing you do is you give him yourself. You give him yourself. Honoring God is different from paying your mortgage or paying your car or paying whatever. Honoring God, it's a spiritual act of worship. 
It's saying, God, I'm going to give you this part of my life, but you have this part and this part and this part and this part and all of it as well, God. I'm going to give you all of it, God. It's putting God first and saying, God, do your thing. I want you to be Lord of my social media life. I want you to be Lord of every word that comes out of my mouth. I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to surrender every part of my life to you, God, the desires of my heart and the thoughts in my mind. I want to surrender. It's giving yourself to God first. And after you do that, then it's also, and God, you are the provider of my life, and I'm going to honor you with this. I'm going to honor you with my finances. And that's going to another level, friends. I feel like as a pastor, my responsibility is to help position you for a place of blessing. And this is a place of blessing over your life. Don't ever sacrifice something that should be for God for something else. So you get yourself in a situation or you put your money over here, whatever. And because you made that decision, you can no longer honor God. It's the wrong decision. Put God first and God will take care of everything. And don't reason away. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't give, but you know what I do? I tithe my time. Where in the world does that come from? That's not in the Bible at all. It's nowhere in the Bible. Or you say, I'm going to do a little bit. I'm going to call it a tithe. I didn't say this, God, but there's, uh, guys, but there's been some, some data. We did a study here at the church, and we looked at how many people are, it was about 240 givers. We looked at 240 givers, and we looked at how many of them are given a true tithe. And we discovered it was only 7%. It's like 20 givers. Now, obviously, we don't know for sure, like, who's tithing, but... We can mostly tell, like, eh, that person's probably not living on $200 a month. They're probably making a little bit more than that. But, you know, the large percentage of people, 92% were giving anywhere from $5 to $50 in the church. Tippers. Tippers. Chip-in givers. Yeah, I'm sure it costs something to be in this building. Yeah, I'm sure. Chip-in givers. I'll tip. I'll tip. God wants all of you, all of you. Give him everything. Give him everything. You know he loves you, right? You know he loves you, right? You know he loves you, right? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. You're so good, God. Thank you, Lord, for um, just your presence here. Thank you for your word. And if you uh, want to accept Jesus, you want to start a new relationship with God and your first step is to invite Jesus into your heart, would you just say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. And right now, I want to become a Christian and I want to live for you. So take over my life. Others of you, maybe you've just been around for a while. Maybe you've grown up in church and maybe you've lost your passion for God. Maybe you need to say this, God, I want to come back. Restore. Restore me. I want my passion to be restored with you, Lord. Maybe you need to say, God, today I'm going to start honoring you with a tithe. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm not going to be a tipper. (laughs) I'm going to be a giver. And I'm going to honor you, Lord. And anything else you want. I know that's the beginning, Lord, this whole tight stuff. 
So anything else you want, God. And I'm going to give you myself and every part of my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.